Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Does it live in a jungle? No. Oh. Is it really fast? No. Does it live on the Great Plains of Africa? No. Hey! What is going on? Hold on, guys. Daddy, be careful on the road. Jerry? Get back in your car right now! Remain with your feet! I'm Pastor Tim. Yeah, let's hear it. It's exciting to be here. I'm glad you're here. It wouldn't be summer without a movie about, you know, Armageddon, the end of the world. That's what we've been talking. To me, it, it, it's every summer. It's just a matter of who's going to save the world. Will it be Tom Cruise, uh, Will Smith, or Brad Pitt, you know? And, and uh, World War Z, if you're, if you're new, you're like, what did I just walk into? We're in this series we're calling Signs. It's really all about Bible prophecy and the end times, what the, the Word of God actually says uh, and predicts will happen in the last days. And, um, you know, today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to hit this head on. We're going to talk about Armageddon, Antichrist, and America. Armageddon, what is it? Antichrist, who is it? America, where is it in Bible prophecy? Because, you know, we mentioned that, you know, the Bible names very specific countries in prophecy, Israel, Iran, Libya, but the United States is never mentioned. Why is that? We're going to tackle that today. And uh, spoiler alert, I just need to come out and say it. America will not be saved by Brad Pitt, okay? That's just, that's the bad news. 
Good news, no zombies uh, in the end times either. But the Bible does describe this battle in the last days known as Armageddon. And that's a name that's been used, I think, to cover every doomsday scenario out there. You see it in popular culture. This summer, World War Z. If you remember last summer, it was the movie 2012, right? The Mayan calendar, end of the world, Armageddon. Hollywood is fixated on it. So is Washington, D.C., That term Armageddon has a prominent place in our politics. In the published diaries of Ronald Reagan, the former president actually said, sometimes I wonder if we're destined to witness Armageddon. He was so concerned about the turmoil in the Middle East that summer, June 4th, this is 1981, he said, got word of Israel bombing of Iraq, their nuclear reactor. I swear I believe Armageddon is near. Armageddon, people on Wall Street talk about a financial Armageddon. With our economy underwater, lost credit rating, national debt ballooning, a lot of Europe teetering on bankruptcy, people are kind of concerned about this economic Armageddon and financial meltdown. Um, We've looked at global catastrophes that we've seen over the last few years, earthquakes in Haiti, the tsunami in Asia triggering a nuclear uh, reactor to meltdown, right? People said, I felt like it was the end of the world. Broadly speaking, Armageddon has become a term that is synonymous with every doomsday scenario out there. But there's really some misunderstanding of the word. Because if you understood the word Armageddon, you wouldn't be asking what is Armageddon or even when is Armageddon, but where is Armageddon? Because according to the Bible, Armageddon is a place. It's a geographic location. And today I want to clear up the confusion in our culture and see what scripture says. So would you take your Bible, open up to the last book, Revelation, real easy to find, last book of the Bible. And um, we started the series in Genesis We're going to be winding it down the next two weeks in Revelation. And um, this is important because this is a, Revelation means unveiling. And this was written by John uh, the Apostle, and he wrote it on the prison island of Patmos, okay? This is, and here what he gives is he unveils this vision of the epic events that will bring history to its final consummation in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 16, we read this, it says, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called, what's it say? Armageddon. Now, I put this in your notes today, so if you take out your notes, you're going to see the Hebrew word for Armageddon is Harmageddon, and Har means mount, Megiddo means slaughter. So the literal meaning of Armageddon is mount of slaughter, and it's an actual place. Here it is on Google Maps um, in northern Israel. It's called Megiddo. Megiddo is about 55 miles north of Jerusalem, and a little bit more than 10 miles from Nazareth, okay, the hometown where Jesus grew up. And it's a vast plain. You can visit this in person today in Israel. Um, Megiddo is notorious. It has a rich biblical history. It was at Megiddo that, uh, uh, I believe it was, um, I think, uh, let me have a Gideon. Gideon defeated the Midianites. You might remember that. Saul was killed by the Philistines there in battle at Megiddo. Now, it's not just biblical battles that have been fought there, but modern ones as well. During World War I, the British and the Turks kind of fought to the death there. And in 1799, Napoleon, okay, he was actually, he looked over Megiddo. He wanted to reconstruct the the Roman Empire. And he looked out, and here's what Napoleon Bonaparte said. He said, all the armies of the world could maneuver their forces on this vast plain. There is no place in the whole world more suited for war than this. It is the most natural battleground on the whole earth. So, All told, historians estimate that over 200 battles have been fought at or near Harmageddon. So you see why Megiddo really has has kind of earned its awful nickname. It has been a mount of slaughter over the centuries. And this is where we come full circle. 
Because the Bible says the curtain will close at the very same location that it began. In other words, Israel, we said, was the ancient starting point, and it will be the final staging ground for all events of Bible prophecy, especially for this final battle known as Armageddon. Remember, history is his story, his story, God's story. The events occurring in our world are predicted in God's word. If you weren't uh, here last week, I want to give you a little chart. I remember, uh, I thank you, so many of you were like, that was really helpful. This has helped set the sequence for the stuff happening on God's prophetic calendar. It started with the first coming of Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem. He dies for the sins of mankind. He's raised from the dead and ascends to heaven. And after Jesus left, the church was born. That's where we're living right now, right? The church age. But last week, we saw that will end with an event known as the rapture, when Jesus returns to take his church home to heaven with him. Notice Jesus doesn't touch down on earth. We meet him in the air and we'll be with the Lord forever. That will usher in a period of seven years known as the tribulation because Jesus has come, the church is gone, the restraining bolt of the Holy Spirit's gone. This time of suffering and troubles and turmoil that will result in the second coming of Christ when he returns with his bride to take on the demonic forces of the Antichrist. And then he'll usher in a period of a thousand years that theologians call the millennium, the millennium. And then eternity will begin. That's kind of the sequence we looked at last week. You can get a a CD on it if you missed it. And you can kind of see how this works, right? I believe the rapture will most likely trigger this period known as the tribulation because when you think about this, all Christians removed from the earth, right? We're the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It preserves. Without salt, things decay. We're the light of the world. In other words, without light, there's darkness. Darkness and decay, that's what the tribulation is in Scripture. I want you to imagine millions of people disappearing, some say a billion, from the face of the earth. There will be shock. There will be confusion. There will be chaos. State of emergencies declared. Phone lines jammed. Transportations, economies in shambles. Because Christian leaders who led with the humility of God's Spirit now out of the government, okay? Jesus himself described the tribulation this way. He said, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again in those days had not been cut short no one would survive but for the sake of the elect those days will be shortened and this prophecy is fulfilled during the tribulation period uh those who've been raptured we're gonna remember we're not here we're kind of watching this unfolding horror from the windows of heaven because the rapture is really god's evacuation plan okay He's removing Christians from the earth to spare us the trauma to come when the tribulation breaks out. If you've watched the uh, wildfires that have spread across Colorado this past month, destroying homes along the Rocky Mountains, officials um, ordered the evacuation of 1,000 homes right at the foot of Rocky Mountains. People, they, they said, don't even turn back, just flee immediately, get out of your house as the flames come closer. That's what prophecy is. Pro- prophecy is here to warn us to be ready for what's to come. And the rapture is God's evacuation plan for his family. So understand, this is not the idea of like this angry God, you know, just kind of burning the innocent. It's just the opposite. You warn somebody when you care about them, when you love them, because you want to spare them pain and suffering. God wants us to be with him so much he didn't spare his own son. That's why he sent Jesus, the first coming of Christ, as an atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins When we put our trust in him, we're saved from the coming wrath at his second coming. So understand what's happening here. When when, when God evacuates his church, us, the earth will lose a lot of its population and uh, over 50 million in our nation alone probably. You and I, we're gone. 
But predictably, this will cause turmoil, chaos. There will be this kind of outcry for somebody to bring order and peace at any cost, which sets the stage for the rise of a new world leader who will propose a solution to all of these global problems. He will promise peace. He will say, I can bring you security. It will step up to save a world in turmoil. Does this sound familiar? It's not Brad Pitt, okay? The Bible calls him the Antichrist. Now, I want to tell you, I'm just time out here. Let's take a moment. Today's message is kind of split into two, okay? This first part is going to make you cringe a little bit as you see what Scripture says about the rise of evil in the last days. But the second part of today's message is going to make you want to cheer, and I hope you do. Because as we dig into this prophecy about the return of Christ, it really is soul-stirring. It jazzed me this week as I was reading through Revelation. I can't wait to share this with you. You're going to get this bird's-eye view of Revelation, and though the beginning is kind of hard to swallow, the end ends on a very high note, a very hopeful note. You with me, okay? You're going to track? So suck it up. If it's your first time today, buckle up, okay? (laughs) The author of Revelation is the Apostle John, and he wrote this in his first letter. He said this in his epistle. He said, Dear children... This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the, what? Antichrist is coming. And watch this. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So that title, Antichrist, you know, anti means against. So this is a person who is against Christ. But listen, anti also means in place of. In other words, the antichrist will step into this moment of turmoil, this vacuum of leadership, And at first, offer himself as a savior to the world. Now, a lot of people speculate, like, who is this Antichrist? In fact, if you Google, who is the Antichrist? I did it this week. You get over 9 million hits, okay? I clicked on some of the links. This was for research. And um, some predictable faces appeared, right, from politicians. um, Because, you know, the Bible says the Antichrist is going to broker a peace deal between Israel and her Arab enemies. That's been the goal of many presidents and politicians, but Antichrist links also led to, uh, you know, people like the Kardashians. Kind of a, you know, I'm like, I could see it, a three-headed beast kind of, you know, there. It's like, I get it. Uh, the reality is, it's kind of fruitless to speculate who the Antichrist is. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it does tell us what kind of qualities he will embody in chapter 13 of Revelation. So would you look at chapter 13? It's on page 687. In Revelation 13... John says, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns. On each head, a blasphemous name. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now just stop here. Again, if you're new to Christianity, you open up to Revelation, you read stuff like this, you're like, is this a Quentin Tarantino movie? Right, you know, it's kind of like, did I just take ecstasy? What is all this like weird, like hallucinatory stuff happening? Here's the deal. Revelation is a very strange kind of uh, book of the Bible. It's called apocalyptic literature. In other words, you're going to encounter these strange symbols here, okay, that stand for something. For instance, the Antichrist here is called the beast, okay? And although he appears to be the world's savior, the re- he'll be unveiled as the world's cruelest dictator. That's why he's called the beast, His leadership will be known for its cruelty and its brutality, especially towards Jews and Christians. And a little distinction here. You see how it says the dragon, the beast, you know, all these different things. Um, People get this confused. Revelation says that once the church is raptured, the Antichrist rises, and the world is turned over to a new God comprised of, watch, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. 
The dragon is the devil, the beast is the antichrist, and the false prophet is the one who performs these miracles that will deceive the world. And the idea is it's kind of like an unholy trinity. Right now, we worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Once we're removed from the world, the world will worship the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. They're the unholy trinity, a parody of our trinity. And the Antichrist will wield power. This is the most significant thing if you're taking notes. That's the first thing Revelation reveals. The Antichrist is empowered by Satan himself. He is energized by Satan. Although he appears benevolent at first, he will be a satanic superman. He's anti-Christ in place of Christ, and so he will demand worship. Worship that should rightfully go to Jesus Christ will be offered to this imposter, the Antichrist. Verse 4 says this, people worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They worship the devil because he gave it to the Antichrist. And they also worshiped the beast, the Antichrist, and asked, who's like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now, If the Antichrist is like the epitome of evil, why would people worship and follow him? Look at verse 5. Scripture says that he will possess charisma. He says the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise his authority for 42 months. In other words, he'll have a charismatic speaking ability. He'll be a master politician, an orator. He will sway the masses with his spellbinding words and promises of peace. He'll exercise his authority for Watch, 42 months, that's the equivalent of three and a half years, so half of that tribulation time. He will probably make a peace agreement with Israel, who's been at war with her Islamic enemies. And although these are empty, deceptive words, the world will actually buy them out of desperation. And you guys have seen this, right? What happened with the recession? When people get afraid, right, economically, politically, they're like, somebody save us. Somebody bail us out. Who's it going to be? We got to elect somebody. I want you to imagine a leader stepping onto the global stage. And instead of promising to try to jumpstart peace talks in the Middle East, the guy does it. He brokers peace in the Middle East. He's the guy who actually steps. Every president of the last 60 years has attempted this, okay? Right now, John Kerry is there right now trying to jumpstart the peace process. This guy does it. He will be viewed as a statesman, a savior around the world. But the Bible says that he will have another motive. Look at verse 7. The beast was given power to what? Wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. In other words, the Antichrist will consolidate power, bringing together a coalition. Islam would call it a caliphate of ten nations. That's why you have the ten horns there, to wage war against the Jewish people. Recall, Israel is at the center of his story, God's story, God's chosen people, his treasured possession, the Jewish people will be in the Antichrist crosshairs. Is this hard for you to imagine? History is full of leaders who use their charisma, their cult of personality, and the trappings of Christ to advance their anti-Semitic agenda. In the late 30s and 40s, when Hitler, for instance, was moving across Europe, he was swallowing up whole nations. Most people believe, here's the Antichrist. You know what? Hitler actually offered himself as a Messiah with a divine mission to save Germany. In fact, in one of his speeches, he actually took out a whip. He often carried a whip to to demonstrate, and he said, you know what? I'm going to use the whip to drive out the Jews, just like Jesus did in the temple. He said, what Christ began, I will complete. At one of the Nuremberg trials, or rallies, I should say, there was a giant photo of Hitler, and it said, in the beginning was the word. Hitler was not the Antichrist spoken of here, though you understand why many people thought that. The Nazi symbol, the swastika, 
That is a broken cross. And under that broken cross, Hitler annihilated 6 million Jews in the Holocaust. Similarly, the Antichrist will wage war against God's people. He will be anti-Christ. He will be anti-Israel. And for centuries, people have tried to like decode the identity of the Antichrist based on verse 18 there. Notice it says, let the person who has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it's man's number. His number is 666. And so a lot of people like use numerology to try, for instance, like if you make uh, the alphabet into numbers and you say like A is 100, B is 101, C is 102, and so on. If you add up the six letters of Hitler's name, guess what? The total is 666. He must be the Antichrist, right? Wrong. Hitler was satanic, no doubt, but he was a preview or a prototype of the one to come. Remember, John writes this. He says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So in other words, the Antichrist is a spirit that has been in operation throughout history. From the original demonic hatred of Israel by Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Exodus. To Queen Jezebel in, 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 uh, in Kings. She killed the Jewish prophets. In the book of Esther, you had Haman. He tried to annihilate the Jews. The Romans sacked Jerusalem. Hitler and the Holocaust. They're fueled by this satanic spirit. And today, modern day Islamic radical terrorists like Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah. They have sworn allegiance to wipe Israel off the map of history. That's the Antichrist spirit already in the world, waiting for the moment where it actually settles and consolidates in one dynamic leader. Again, we see this right now intensifying in the Middle East. And I I just want to acknowledge, this is uncomfortable to admit, isn't it? That there is evil in the world. There is satanic power in the world. Modern people don't like to hear that. We prefer like generic evil. People make bad choices. Satan is a person and his spirit is at work to this day. Listen, when people crash jumbo jets into buildings thinking they're serving God, that's satanic power. You understand? When a gunman enters a school and he mows down children with automatic weapons, that's satanic power. So the Bible isn't trying to tell us who the Antichrist is, but rather what he will be like. He will be inspired by Satan. He will will power across the globe. And the Bible says he will control the economy, the ultimate form. It says he also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that nobody could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number under his name. You've heard of the mark of the beast? This is not like a decorative tattoo, okay? This is a tool of financial control. Anybody who doesn't have the mark of the beast will be unable to buy or sell in the globalized economy. And just listen, 20 years ago, right, this idea that somebody could have a mark that identifies their financial records, their medical data, all their personal information, that seemed like science fiction. Today, we could do it right now with the phone in your back pocket, right? GPS, that's how some of you got here, satellite navigation. RFID, radio frequency ID right now. This is a picture of an RFID chip. It's small as a grain of rice. Some of you have this in your pets. Did you, did you do that when you bought your puppy? You can actually have that inserted under their skin so that if your dog or pet runs off, they can track it. It's like a doggy lojack, okay? These things cost one ten millionth of a cent to produce. 
And right now, they are being used and implanted in several Alzheimer's patients in where? The fleshy part of their hands. Because they forget their identity and they can wander off. And when they come back, boop, oh, it's you're so-and-so. This is where you belong. You don't have that capacity. Again, we could never imagine such a thing taking place. Right now, these are benevolent uses. The government of Mexico actually has implanted these in the arms of all of the people who work in the attorney general's office. Because when they want to enter a secure building, they're able to go, boop, so that terrorists and drug lords can't get in. You can imagine security becoming very tightened around this. Now, these are benign purposes. But you can imagine the day when this becomes standard practice in a globalized economy. How do you start your car? Boop. <laughs> How do you open door? Boop. How do you get your Starbucks? Boop. Some of you are like, that would be awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. The Antichrist will harness technology as an instrument to control the market. And not surprisingly, he will back it up with military power. Look at verse 7. It says it was given power to wage war against who? God's holy people, and to conquer them. He will be the unchallenged champion of this new world order, leading this coalition of 10 countries. That's what the horns represent with the muscles and the missiles to back it up. So understand, political power, economic control, and military might. And the Antichrist will wage war against who? Against Jews and against Christians. Again, makes you glad to be raptured, doesn't it, church? (laughs) Remember, we're gone, okay? Thank heaven we, are God, we, will, we will watch from heaven witnessing this dark chapter in earth's history. But although you and I, believers, will be in heaven with Christ, the Bible says during that tribulation, new converts will come to Christ. And scripture says that will infuriate the Antichrist because his purpose is to steal worship from Jesus. And he will pour out his wrath on new Christians. Verse 10 describes it. It says, if anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. The Bible says that during the tribulation, many new believers will be martyred for their faith. They will be persecuted, they will be tortured, and beheaded for refusing to worship the Antichrist. I've always wondered in Revelation, whenever I read it, it seems like anachronistic, like beheading, why would people use swords in an age of missiles and IEDs? Beheading, as you know, is the punishment required under Islamic law for blaspheming the name of Allah. You saw this horror in London a few weeks ago when a Muslim man took a cleaver and beheaded a British soldier in broad daylight in London, shouting Allahu Akbar, that's jihad's ancient war cry, as he beheaded that soldier at a busy intersection. And again, guys, this is, um, this is where radicalized Islamic terror merges in a very weird way with Christian prophecy. I told you about this in week two. Fundamentalist Muslims, not all Muslims, not all, but radicalized jihadists, like the regime in Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, they have their own version of the end times. And it's crazy. They are waiting for the return of a Messiah, the Muslim Messiah known as the Mahdi or the 12th Imam. The Mahdi, Arabic, is, it means guided one. He is the prophesied redeemer of Islam, who catch this, will rule the world for seven years before the day of judgment. And this is where it gets strange. I had lunch with an imam at an Iranian restaurant who is a peaceful guy, uh, actually lovely uh, gentleman from Saddaway. And I said, w- tell me a little bit about the end times. What's the next sign in, in, in Islam? And he said, oh, 
we are waiting for the return of Jesus. I said, I'm sorry. I thought you said you're waiting for the return of Jesus. He said, oh, we call him Isa. See, Muslims believe in Jesus. They know him as Isa, but he's not the Jesus we understand. They, don't believe, they believe Jesus was a good teacher and a prophet. He never died. He did not sacrifice for the sins of humanity. He did not rise again. He was taken by Muhammad. And one day, Jesus will return to this earth, Isa. He will return to Damascus when there's trouble in Syria and serve as the Mahdi's enforcer. When Jesus returns, he will reveal himself as a radical Muslim and declare war on all the infidels who refuse to worship the Mahdi. Again, radical Islam is like this bizarro version of Christian eschatology. You know bizarro Superman? Muslims right now believe that Christianity is a distortion, that you and I are deceived about who Jesus is. Jesus serves the Mahdi. And when Jesus returns, it will be to slaughter Jews and Christians who refuse to convert to Islam. In the Muslim Hadith, these are the traditional sayings of the prophets, Allah's apostle says this, the hour will not be established until the son of who? That's Mary, Mary, Jesus, descends amongst you as a just ruler. And what will he do? He will break the cross, that's the Christian church, and kill the pigs, that's the Jews. So I'll put a very sober point on this for you. There is a very real possibility that Islam's savior, the Mahdi, is Christianity's antichrist. Isa. Their version of Jesus is the false prophet who will present himself in place of the real Jesus, who is yet to come. And this makes sense. I mean, this, I get, some of you are like, what? It feels like you're like seeing the matrix, right? This end time scenario, guys, was unknown in the West until the carnage of 9-11 crashed on our shores. We had no clue about any of this stuff until we came face to face with the brutality of radical Islam. And again, very important to note that this end times view is not shared by all mainstream Muslims. So don't be ignorant. Don't be racist. You may have Muslim friends and students, you know, in your neighborhood. But understand, true Islam has a very real and very dark doppelganger who mirrors what Revelation describes as the beast. In Revelation 6-2, it says he will come on a white horse, again, to present himself as Christ, that he will perform signs and wonders and possibly even stage a false resurrection to command the world's instant attention. It's like the satanic Superman who is the distorted version of the true Christ. Now, I just want to pause here and just acknowledge right now, this is, this is hardcore stuff. Some of you are cringing a little bit. And even though we're not on earth for this, it is troubling to think about as we see the signs. And we should just take a moment to thank God, right, that we are not on earth to experience the reign of the Antichrist. In fact, that's one of the possible reasons that America is not mentioned in prophecy. We've seen how scripture mentions Israel, Persia, that's modern-day Iran, Libya, but the United States is never mentioned. Why not? Several possibilities. The first is that America is decimated by the rapture. That's my favorite option. <laughs> right? That, look, America, we know our country has drifted from God right now. Over 50 million Americans would say they are Christian. We'll see about that. <laughs> but if you cut that in half, say just 25 million are authentic followers of Christ, I want you to imagine when America suddenly loses 25 million people. It will be decimated. 
the economy would tank, military would be paralyzed, and it's possible that the rapture will render America a non-player in then times events. A second option is that America continues to decline economically, morally, and spiritually. I think we all realize that our culture has taken a turn and that our social fabric is coming apart. We've seen it this week. Families coming undone, marriage redefined. There was a moral decay happening right now in the United States. And just telling the truth about our family, because I love America, great nation. But as a people, we are indulgent, materialistic, pornographic, and proud. And people have grown hostile towards Christianity. And we now celebrate perversion. And guess what? That's how the Roman Empire declined. Once it grew fat and affluent and expanded its empire and grew self-satisfied, it stretched beyond its measure. And the Roman Empire lasted over 500 years. The British Empire, about 350 years. The glory of Greece, about 180 years. Guess what? The United States is 237 years old. We're right in the middle. We're a young country, but we are an aging empire. And it's quite possible our decline will be eclipsed by the rise of emerging superpowers like China in the East. Third possibility is that America is actually defeated by the Antichrist and or our enemies. Those nuclear missiles in Russia, about 277,000 of them, they're not just pointed at Israel. America is in the crosshairs too. Understand in radical Islam, Israel is the little Satan and America is the great Satan because we're the midwife of the birth of Israel. We helped with this. Now, we don't know about this. These are all just possibilities. Let me tell you something. Standing against the Antichrist will be a whole lot better than compromising and joining forces when this happens. The good news is you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to sweat this. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that's where your allegiance lies, in the kingdom of heaven, not in the kingdom of any man. Amen? Remember, the Antichrist is not equal to God. He is a created being. He can only do what God allows in his sovereign will. He's got him on a chain, and he will be permitted to wreak havoc and persecute Israel and believers, but ultimately, no enemy can go beyond the limits that God sets, and that limit is seven years. Seven years of tribulation, carnage, and chaos the world has never seen, and what God does in response here is stunning. (laughs) See, this is the hope that we have. We're going to turn a corner here. Do you notice... Every story, every movie that you love. Did you see Superman? What happens for about two-thirds of the movie? The world is in chaos, mass carnage, and everyone's like, we need a savior. All the stories that we love follow this arc, only this isn't fantasy. The Bible is a Jewish text, and Hebrew literature is cyclical, meaning it doesn't just have beginning, middle, end. It means when you get to the end, you're back at the beginning. And sure enough, We began in Genesis, we're in Revelation, the unveiling, Armageddon, when the Antichrist reveals who he is. The scripture says he will set himself up in the temple at Jerusalem to be worshipped as God. And say, everyone worship me. And at that moment, here's what Revelation 16 says. The unholy trinity will gather their allies. Then I saw the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. They gathered the kings together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. So all the enemies of the world will gather on Megiddo, this mount of slaughter. And you'd think this is the end of history, and, 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 and it is, because history is his story. And although evil will rise, the king will return. Amen? I want to show you something here. Flip the page to Revelation 19. When I say that Jesus is coming back, 
what do you think of? This is what a lot of American Christians think, right? He's like the 70s hippie surfer dude, hey, right? He's going to come back, he's stroking a lamb. Oh, I love Jesus. Let me tell you something. In Revelation 19, when Jesus steps onto the battlefield of Armageddon, he looks nothing like this. When Jesus Christ returns, Scripture says, here's here's what John says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and his thigh, he has this written. Can we say this together? King of kings and Lord of lords. When you imagine Jesus' return to this earth, how do you envision Jesus? Sandals, choir robe, or eyes ablaze, burning with fire at injustice and wickedness, a robe dripping with blood, a reminder of his sacrifice, and a full-length body tattoo, (laughs) proclaiming him Lord of all, and a sword coming from his mouth. That's the word of God that created in Genesis and now destroys and recreates here in Revelation. When Jesus Christ returns in every way, he will be the ultimate warrior and unleash the wrath of God as he confronts the Antichrist and all who follow him. It will be the most epic encounter in the history of the world. The conquering Christ, legions of angels, raptured saints, that's you and me, all believers, all descend together and hit darkness and evil head-on in battle. 2 Thessalonians describes the battle this way. It's not really a battle. It simply says, The lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with what? The breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. This is hard for us to get our minds around and envision. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a clip from one of my favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian. He's also a student of prophecy. And he imagined Middle Earth under attack by a satanic trinity, Sauron, Saruman, and the ring. And everybody must receive the mark of Sauron, a white hand on their forehead. Sound familiar? And at the darkest hour of Middle-earth, a climactic battle occurs at Helm's Deep. There's this vast army of orcs, this foul demonic beasts, who are coming to annihilate the race of men. But as the battle begins, they remember the prophecy of Gandalf, look to my coming at first light, at dawn, look to the east. And I, when I first saw this scene in the, in the theaters, it gave me chills, honestly. It made me want to stand up and cheer because just as all hope seems lost, a savior on a white horse appears.
Leiden King stands alone. Not alone. Rohirrim! Darkness must pass, and a new day will come, and the king will return. Amen? I think that's a foreshadow of the, of the battle of Armageddon we see here in Revelation 19. At the world's darkest and most desperate hour, Jesus Christ will return. This is the prophecy with the armies of heaven behind him, not as the Lamb of God offering forgiveness to his enemies, but as the Lion of Judah pouring out God's wrath and judgment on everything that is foul and evil and satanic and keeps this broken world in bondage. Why don't you imagine this moment? Our warrior king on a white horse leading a charge, fire in his eyes. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis, the promise. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, whoever curses you, I will curse. And the picture I understand isn't pretty because you got raptured saints, you've got angels fighting side by side against the demonic enemies of God. What does that stir in you? Because for some of you, that prophecy stirs your soul, but for others, it's just disturbing. I get that. Just to be candid, this is the problem a lot of people have with Christianity. And you may be sitting here today thinking that right now. You're like, I was on board with this Jesus forgiveness thing until this moment. Because you're like, how could a loving God judge people like that, send people to hell. It's so Old Testament. I like Jesus meek and mild. This is hard to swallow. Justice always is hard to swallow unless you are the one being persecuted and abused, like the majority of the world's Christians are today. Let me give you a real-world example from our little world. You may have heard of the violent home invasion that took place in Milburn this past week. I'm not going to show you the video. Don't worry. I would never show that to you. At 10.30 in the morning, an intruder broke into the home where a young mother and her three-year-old daughter were sitting on the couch watching cartoons. And the crime was captured on nanny cam. And this, you've probably seen this all over the news. I won't show it to you here. You Google Milburn home invasion, it is very disturbing. He broke in, and he took that young mother, and he punched her in the face over and over and over again and kicked her in the head and threw her down the basement stairs while her daughter was watching on the couch. That is a demonic assault. That is satanic brutality. And they went rifling through the home and robbing their belongings. 
And what has enraged people is that through the attack, the mother actually silently kind of took the blows at one point. She stopped screaming and she told police she did that because she didn't want to scare her daughter who's sitting on the couch, clutching her blanket, watching us. Her 18-month-old baby was upstairs unaware. Let me tell you something. When I saw that video, I got nauseous, just sickened, because I have a little girl. I thought of my own wife, attacked and, and assaulted. Are you telling me you don't want to judge this? You telling me you don't want justice? Men, you understand what I'm feeling right now. I want to come through that screen and destroy that man. Because I think of him assaulting my wife, my children, my family. That is how God feels when he sees what is done to his children. And the abuse that we see in the news every day. Rape, sex trafficking, child abuse, school massacres. You're telling me you don't want justice for those who do that? How can a loving God not judge the wicked? When Christ returns to judge the nations, that's the kind of justice he will deliver on those who abuse his children. It will be true, it will be righteous, and it will be just. It's not some indiscriminate turn or burn kind of vengeance. It is a final judgment on all that is evil and satanic and godless in our world. And do you know what the universal response to judgment will be? The rest of the world? Joy! (laughs) When Christ judges his enemies at Armageddon, there's celebration. That's how Revelation ends, with cheering, an entire stadium cheering and roaring its approval. Look what John says. He says, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for what? Say it together. True and just are his judgments. Armageddon's outpouring is not met with weeping and despair, but joy over justice finally and perfectly administered. So for those of you who are disturbed by this, I want you to imagine if the evil in this world were not judged. You don't want a world like that. You don't want to worship a God like that. Can you imagine if if God stood by and he looked over at Thailand where 12-year-old girls are sold for sex every single day and said, I don't want to be judgmental and let it go. I don't want to worship a God like that. In your heart, in my heart, everyone knows that evil must be judged and sent to the pit where it belongs. And that's exactly where the Antichrist goes. Revelation 19, 20 says, but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet and the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Thank God for hell. I'm not trying to go fire and brimstone on you, but the Bible's clear. Sin is real and hell is hot. And that's where the Antichrist and God's enemies will go. Satan ends up there as well at the end of the millennium. It says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever, and that's justice. Because the unholy trinity, the source of human misery and pain and suffering, ironically end up in everlasting torment, eternity without God. That's what hell is. God is giving people what they want, life without him. No justice, no peace, no Christ. See, guys, in God's story, there has to be an end before there's a brand new beginning. And that's what this is. It is the end of our broken world and the beginning of a brand new one. 
We will see this next week in our final installment, Heaven on Earth. Imagine Earth with no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more cancer, no more home invasions. The old is gone, the new's come. This is what you were made for. This is where all who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior spend eternity. And it is an incredible description John gives here. Uh, We'll look at this next week. Heaven is not harps and angels and clouds. It is a brand new earth full of joy and discovery, things for you to do as we rule and reign with Christ forever. Amen? Do you look forward to that? Do you long for this to come true, the return of the king? Because that's the prophecy. It's not, yeah, it's not to face the future with fear, but with joy, with expectation. Can you imagine the day when, when, when sin and evil are wiped from the face of the earth? Revelation gives you a glimpse of the world you were made for, and it's supposed to make us hungry for Christ's return. The final words of Revelation are from Jesus himself. I want to read this out loud together. Can we read this out loud? Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know what John said? He said, amen, come Lord Jesus. Come, come now. Is that your prayer? As you think about the future, do you have that assurance of salvation that you will be on the right side of the Lord and Savior when he comes to judge humanity? Because Revelation leaves a very simple choice. Are you anti-Christ or are you for Christ? Are you ready for his return? I hope this is the prayer of our church. Come, Lord Jesus. We are waiting and we are ready for salvation. Amen? Let's pray together. Everyone bow your heads. Father God, we praise you. We praise you. We're going to erupt in worship because you have brought salvation. Today is the day that all men and women would be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. For you did not appoint us to wrath, but to receive salvation. And so we praise you. We praise our King. We praise our Lord, our Savior, Father God. We confess our sins. Cleanse us now, Father. We offer our hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bless this church as we proclaim and wait for your coming. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.